be remiss today, Memorial Day weekend, if we didn't make it a priority to acknowledge that today is about remembering, memorializing over one million men and women who have shed their blood on the battlefield to provide for us the freedom to worship, protect our freedoms, and to provide liberty and freedom for the oppressed. As I said earlier, the Bible is very clear there's no greater love than one would lay down their life for another. And a lot of what we enjoy and what we will enjoy today has been purchased, first of all, by the blood of Jesus Christ, and second of all, by our fellow Americans. And if you're here today and someone in your family, someone close to you, has died on the field of battle, I'd like to ask you to stand, please. I'm going to pray. Thank you. Let's take a moment just to be still and quiet, shall we? Father, I personally, I, I use the word sacrifice far too lightly and, and sometimes hardly at all because it just pales in comparison to our fellow citizens who have truly sacrificed their life on our behalf and on behalf of others. And we thank you for that. We remember that today. We thank you for it. And we also, Lord, ask for the comfort for those around the world today who have last lost sons and daughters in battle. The blood of many has been shed on this soil and foreign soil. And we, we acknowledge that today in Jesus' name. Comfort those who mourn, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Uh, today's message is, uh, is, is it a, um, uh, a message of practicality? Yeah, yeah, on some level. It is a message you hear every weekend? No, it's not. If you look at it from a pastoral perspective, the message you're about to hear is a necessary staple in one's spiritual diet. You can't get away from this message too long. We have to hear this. Will you know exactly what to do and how to put it into action when you leave this sanctuary? No. There's a spiritual component to the message that ministers to you and to your soul at levels you may not even be aware of this side of heaven, to be frank. There is a topic about to be addressed here that will be potentially uh, grotesque, certainly sobering, Make no apologies for that. It's not gratuitous. The, 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 the matter has to be handled in the specific way it has to be handled to be true to the text. We're talking about the blood of Christ. There is a practical application of the message today. You will hear insights about the word of God that I would say with great confidence you've never heard before. 
And those insights are meant to clear up on some level a little bit of confusion that I see in the body of Christ right now. I'll address those when we get to them. Some of you, some of you listening, some of you here today, and sometimes myself, are disappointed in God because he's not answering prayer. And it's not God we need to be disappointed with. It's that we have to orient ourselves to we're praying the wrong thing at the wrong time. And we get down on him and us and frustrated because we fail to see something that took place in the life of Jesus, but we're going to see it today, fresh and anew. Yes, much blood has been shed on battlefields. I'm also aware of the fact that I share this message in a context that I find difficult to fathom. I'm actually saying, but I am because it's reality. That the only battlefields that we're accustomed to are not just military. Our civilians are on a battlefield even today. Let me take it a step further. Our elementary schools have become battlefields. I don't know how something like this can come about. I only know that it was prophesied, and that is that in this world, as we near the end times, there will be lawlessness. I know of no better example of lawlessness than the massacring of innocent 10-year-olds in a classroom. To me, that's lawlessness. We've been working on lawlessness for a long time now. We've as a culture, stubbed our, lifted our nose up at the, the law of God time and time again. But there's some things that are just basically in your face and brazen. How a 10-year-old little girl can be sitting at her desk and look the backs of the heads of the kids in front of her or to her friend to her left or right of her desk. Maybe she's studying sentence structure, mathematics, who knows. Unbeknownst to her and three if not four minutes, maybe five, she'll be taking the blood of one of her fellow students and smearing it on her face and body and pretending like she's dead. The the contrast, the dichotomy between these two realities baffles me. And we as a culture just stand back seemingly and watch. We're dumbfounded and we're stupefied as to what to do. That's the world we live in. That's the world you and I are called to minister to. So yes, there are battlefields. Isaiah, 700 to 750 years before the time of Christ, prophesied about the crucifixion of Christ. Yes, it's grotesque. Yes, it's sobering. And yes, it's bewildering. We'll only look at one verse today. That's all. Isaiah 53 and 5. But he was, let's put that slide up, gentlemen. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, there's some key words I want to focus on here. In the parentheses, I've added in a little bit of uh, understanding as to 
uh, a Hebrew meaning of that particular wor word that Jesus uh, had take place in his body. One is that his wounds were piercing wounds, his bruises were crushing blows, and his stripes were blows that cut in. Let me explain. These are important to differentiate between these because there's meaning behind the actual vernacular that's used by Isaiah under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He was wounded. He was wounded or pierced through. A wound in this, in this Hebrew language, in this, in this passage, is a piercing. It is the taking of a sharp object, nail, spike, sword, spear, and puncturing the body of Christ. That, it's, it's intentionally mentioned there by Isaiah. A piercing, hands, feet, and side of Christ. A piercing, the last one, in his side to confirm that he was dead as water and blood come out of that hole that they used to pierce him up through the rib cage into his pericardial sac goes the spear and the water around his heart and the blood that his heart was once pumping now comes out and that's the confirmation of his death. That's why his bones were not broken in his legs. They had already confirmed his death. As was prophesied that his bones wouldn't be broken, by the way. So even in his death, he fulfills prophecy. And he's left with, in his hands and in his feet and in his side, eternal, this is important, eternal scars. These scars last for eternity. Uh, sitting at the right hand of the Father is Jesus Christ at this very moment. If you were to look at him, you'd see holes in his hands and feet and side. They're eternal scars, never to go away, because they are the mark of what Exodus 25 calls the bondservant. The bondservant is the one who, in captivity, decides to stay in captivity, pledges himself to be married to the one he loves, his bride, never to leave that captivity, and bears the marks of that decision he's freely made on his body for all to see. That's Jesus Christ, our bondservant. He speaks about it in Philippians chapter 2. There it is. The piercing of Christ marks publicly, even heaven and hell, hell can see this, the marks of the bondservant that says, I am loyal to my bride, I love my bride, I'm going to marry my bride, and I'm going to stay with her for all eternity, and look at the marks to prove it. This is by my word, by my name, by my namesake, by truth, this is who he is. He's your bondservant. I, I don't know if you've got some uh, ideology that's been sort of uh, influenced in various ways over your life, or religiosity, or whatever's going on with you, but I'm telling you, there was a choice made by Jesus Christ, and he chose you, he chose to be scarred to prove he chose you, he chose you before the foundations of the earth, whether you choose him or not, he chose you, he loves you, and he bears the marks to prove it, he was pierced, wounded for our transgressions. Only qualification for him to be wounded on your behalf is the fact that you have transgressions. Good work. You're doing good. The only thing you need is sin, and you were born in it. You qualify. 
It doesn't matter what you know, what you don't know, where you've been, what you've done, what you haven't done, what you've omitted, what you've said, who you've cursed. It doesn't matter. If you can fog up a mirror and you sin, you qualify for Jesus Christ's death on a cross. It's the easiest qualification you can, it's the only thing you have to do is breathe. But when that breathing ceases, so too does your opportunity to be his bride. I hope you're aware of that. Because since I just told you that, four if not five, maybe six breaths have taken place and you're that many breaths closer to having absolutely no opportunity to make a decision. Uh, what are we up to now? Maybe eight? He is your bondservant. Okay, Isaiah's prophesying this. 700 to 750 years before Christ. They didn't even crucify people back then. He didn't even know what he's talking about. God's telling him what to say. He's writing it down. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. Wounded. He was bruised. Bruising in, in the Hebrew here is a crushing, sadistic, violent blow. It's blunt force trauma. It's, a, it's unlike a piercing, it's a bludgeoning. A, a bludgeoning. It's a, it's a tamping down of the flesh that reverberates pain down deep into the tissue where deoxygenated blood tends to pool up around the place of trauma. Uh, to understand the meaning of this, this word, it's where blood will come to the, to the place of the trauma, it will pool up around it, and it will settle in and around that wound, that, that bruise causing, because of a lack of oxygen, a darker colored blood. So, so this man, before he's ever pierced on the cross, has already been bludgeoned. Already his, his, his blood supply is less. It's not even in circulation anymore. It's just pooling up around these blunt force impacts. As someone sadistically laughs about it in the process, he's the recipient of our punishment for our sin. Deep tissue trauma. It's not opened at the surface. It's below the surface. It's just ravaged by the impact. But isn't this in a way how it is today? Is there, is there not some application here? Please allow me. This many people gathered, that many people online, people from different nations listening to this right here, somebody, somebody has been traumatized. Somebody has been hurt internally. Externally, to look at you, you'd never know it but deep, deeper than most people realize, you, you've been hurt. You've 
taken a blow. Maybe literal blows. Maybe verbal blows. But you've taken blows. Many may not even be aware. But pooled up around that blow, protecting you from the very pain of that memory, settling into that traumatic event or childhood is the blood of Christ. Waiting, waiting, waiting to restore and remove, to cleanse the area of any more pain. We'll get back to that. Time does not heal wounds. Jesus does. And Jesus will use time to do so if he so chooses. A bruise isn't totally healed until the area is cleared and cleansed of the pooled and settled blood around it. It has to go back through the process and the, and the body has to get rid of it and it heals from the inside out. Again, we'll come back to that. There are wounds that are piercing and there are bruises that are crushing and there are stripes. By his stripes, we are healed. Stripes are both internal and external in ravaging the body. They are blows that cut in. Now, by his stripes, we are healed. What, what is so special about this particular invasion and violation of his flesh? Piercings were eternal and had a purpose of the bondservant. Wounds heal from the inside out. Stripes take the cat of nine tails and grab the flesh deep down inside, cut deep into it, and then expose that which is internal to the air. It flips it upside down. It inverts the flesh so that the inside is now on the outside. He had already been through this earlier in the week. They had already put a purple robe on such wounds. They had taken these lacerations and this thrashing and these fissures on his body. They had already married it up with cloth. They had already let it dry. They had already peeled it back off prior to the crucifixion. He's just now getting warmed up. Stripes. Long channels of distressed and thrashed, lacerated tissue open and crusted over and reopen. Tissue far beneath the skin, violently ripped. Just an upheaval. This is what accounted for his disfigurement. Earlier in Isaiah, around verse 3 and 4, it really, if you understand the Hebrew, what it really says is men looked at him and his disfigurement, and they couldn't help but do it with paralyzed astonishment. They didn't know what to do with it. They didn't have a category for it. 
They just were paralyzed. So to look was mean, I don't really want to look, but I have to look because I've never seen anything like it before, but I just have to look away. I don't know what to do with this. It's a whole other category. That's the stripes of Jesus Christ. But there's a problem here. Three days later, he rose from the dead, appeared to over 500 people over 40 days, and not one solitary soul, not one person, not one boy, girl, man, or woman had anything to say about anything of any kind of wound whatsoever on his body except for the piercings. His eyes were no longer swollen. They were no longer lacerated. These fissures, these lacerations, this thrashing, these bruises, the dark spots, they're all gone. They're all gone. The only thing he was, I have a feeling they had trouble recognizing him after the crucifixion because the last time he saw him, they couldn't recognize him as a human being. The last thing they thought they'd see when he resurrected, rode from the dead, is someone who was totally healed except for the piercing. What is that? Uh, This will blow your mind. You want your mind blown? Here you go. By his stripes, we are healed. For three days in the tomb, the blood of his own stripes healed his own stripes. And he came out of the tomb without lacerations. Just the marks of the bondservant. I find this interesting. I find it interesting because if he was healed, the incarnate Christ, who was fully God and fully man, was healed, and he was healed by his own blood, and he now lives in us. How can not there be healing continue in our world today with him in us with the very, with the very stripes that were healed? How can we not follow his example as our, as our representative? We follow him. The same thing's going to come to pass. In fact, not the same thing. I apologize. Even greater works will you do. I mean, if you want to use Scripture... A guy called me the other day. He says, we've moved away. You know, I know. We talk. He said, three years ago when we moved away, we have to come back. We can't find a church. We're in the Raleigh area. We can't find a church that actually uses the Bible. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a relationship between that and lawlessness. Could be. Just saying. All right, so let's put it together. He's risen from the dead, and he has all his wounds healed. All his physical wounds are healed except for those of the bondservant, which by necessity cannot ever be fully healed. They have to be visible. That's the purpose of of the piercing. In Exodus, it was the ear of the slave. With Christ, it's his hands and feet. The same principle. You can't, you always have to have those holes. Or you contradict the Old Testament. But all the other wounds healed? Wait a minute. There was a lot of healing going on down there, whatever he was doing those three days. Except his relational issues weren't healed. He still had to reconcile with Peter. 
You see, some healing is miraculous and instantaneous. And we've seen some of that here. If you haven't been around, you'll hear. We've had a fair share of that here lately. Inexplicable healing, miraculously and quickly. But not all miraculous healing is quick. And this is where we come down to. I see this happening more and more, and we've got to put a stop to it. We have relational problems with one another in our marriage, in friendships, in our nuclear family, our extended family. And we spend a lot of time praying that God would heal those relationships. And he doesn't. And and he's not going to, by the way. Not without your participation. If our participation wasn't necessary, Jesus' problem with Peter, he just would have got that all worked out while he was in the tomb. You see, there are some things that we want healed that we can pray about, but what you better pray about is how to ante up and get the work done yourself. You've got, to, you've got to get in there and do the work. Those bruises beneath the surface with the pooled up blood, they have to do, you have to do the work. You have to do the, you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You've got to do the work. You've got to let them go. You've got to forgive them. You've got to bless them. You've got to renounce the bitterness. You've got to do these things to have a true freedom. That kind of healing is miraculous, but takes time. I see people, well, these people prayed over me and I'm delivered. No, you're not. God doesn't come up with a panacea of words to use to make our life all of a sudden perfect without our cooperation. His blood will operate, but we have to cooperate on certain things. Jesus had to meet with him. Some of you have stood on that very seashore with my wife and I. Some of you more than once. We've walked up and down. We've seen where they had this conversation. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? you got to do the work. It's not God's job to make your life heaven on earth. And if you're disappointed that he's not, change the prayer, and you won't be. He will not restore these relationships without our participation at some point. Pray all you want, but you got to get in the game sometime along the way. you got to get in the game. you got to suit up. You got to go to the counselor. You got to let this thing go. You got to let that abuser go. You've got to, you got to figure that out. That just doesn't go away. The inside of the fissure of the laceration of the stripes of Christ, the inside pain was brought to the outside. And it's in the light of day, my friend, that some of this stuff gets resolved. It really is. It's not that you lack faith. You lack understanding. You can't pray for your spouse to have a revelation on how to be the perfect spouse that you need them to be. You can, but I hope you've got patience. 
what needs to happen is you and I both need to figure out who we need to be in Christ in that relationship that makes it the best it can be. And God doesn't have to put makeup on something and pretend like it's not bad. When it is. When it is. Yes, Jesus had to meet with Peter. His physical wounds were healed, but his relational wounds needed attention. And there's really no other way. You can't take food and make it an emotional Band-Aid, put on 75 pounds extra, come to the altar, and pray that by the time you get back to the pew, the 75 pounds is gone. That would be wonderful, but I guess what? The emotional band-aid is still necessary, and the 75 pounds is coming back. See, our great physician is in many ways a surgeon. January 25th, of 2009, I stood in this very spot with a different pulpit. A pulpit I could not stand. I hated to stand behind. It made me sick to my stomach looking at it until this baby came along. Now they took my grapes away. And I said, listen, I don't know how long I'm going to be here and I don't know how long we're going to put up with each other and I don't know what the, where the journey ends, but I do know this. We're going to have an open Bible, open minds, open hearts, and open doors. Everyone is welcome here. Everyone is going to hear the word. Everyone is going to change their mind in some way, shape, or form, be more open to something they've never heard before, never taught before, never preached before. Everyone's welcome. Oh my gosh, you should have been here. Some of you were. This is unbelievable. Uh, Highlands Country Club had their own seating section. I think they had their own uniforms. <laughs> Highlands Falls, uh, the Wildcat Cliffs. Everybody had their own seating section. If you weren't in a country club, I don't know what you did. I think you just kind of like looked in the window or something. People told me, you, you're a pastor at that church up there on the hill you can't see from the street that's a cult full of country club people? I go, shoot, is that what it is? I have no idea. So we blew that up. Open, 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 open. Listen to me. We have some spiritual formation weekends coming up this year. Three, likely three of them. Where I'm going to invite the whole congregation over a period of time to attend these. And one of the four areas covered on that Saturday is freedom in Christ. And we've got a plan. Boy, have we got a plan. We've got a plan on how to follow up that Saturday with doing the work. It's not for everybody. But you know who I'm talking to. There's work to be done that cannot be delayed you got to go meet with Peter. you got to resolve this problem. It's affecting your whole entire life, whether you realize it or not. you got to go meet with Peter. 
We're not looking for an instantaneous miracle. We're going to do the work. We're going to be healed. That's true of addiction, compulsion. It's true in some levels of depression. It's true. It's true for him. If it's true for him, it's true for us. Because he is truth. All right, having said that, let's rehearse just for a moment before we go picnic and bask in our freedom in this nation. You are washed. I shouldn't say you, I'm sorry. Those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ have, by our own volition have chosen to make him the Lord of our life and confessed our sin to him and asked for his forgiveness and repented and turned away from him. Those of us who are born again are washed by the blood of the Lamb. It's cliche. You've heard it a million times. That's the problem. It's, it's more than cliche. It's more than a phrase. It's a reality. It's to have a clear conscience to get up in the morning and feel no shame or no guilt, no remorse. It is this idea that this love of which we prayed about and spoke today is so extravagant, so lavished upon us, so thick, so available, so high, wide, long, and deep that you can't escape it. The freedom to be a born-again Christian, although some of us act like morons, this, the, the actual freedom to be a born-again Christian in this world today, most people don't understand. They only see what we present to them in the public arena, and it's not all good. If we're honest, we can be honest, right? We are the salt of the earth, washed by the blood of the Lamb. Purified, it says, and cleansed. Whew. I like that. I really like that. We're restored, we're being sanctified, and we're redeemed. We're purchased. Like God has given a coupon worth one one-hundredth of a cent, that's us, and exchanged it for eternal life. That's all we had to give him, if that, a coupon, and he gave us everything in return. Redeem the coupon. You give him your sin, he gives you eternal life, clear conscience, redemption, sanctification, a glorified body, a mission, a purpose, a resolve, a confidence to come before the throne of grace by the blood of the Lamb. To overcome by the blood of the Lamb. To overcome difficulties and bondage and relational issues and doubt and fear and suicidal thoughts and depression. All of it. Darkness, the, the demonic, whatever comes your way, you can overcome by the power of the blood of the Lamb. And by his stripes you are healed. Sometimes right away, other times when you do the work. You're ransomed. There's only one thing worse, in my opinion, of a parent losing a child to death. As bad as that is, I think there's something twice as bad. To have a child go missing and have no idea where they are. No idea what's happening to them. They have no idea who took them. That is as close to the definition of hell on earth as I think anyone could get. And you and I were taken out of the light into the darkness, away from God, 
We lived the majority of our life. Some of you still live in that life. Majority of life apart from God, and he ransomed us. By his stripes, the blood that came out of his forehead to begin with, and then his sides and his back and his feet and everywhere, the blood that ransomed us and purchased us out of captivity. I wasn't worth buying, my friend. I don't know about you. Some of you are really nice people. Good luck with that. But don't let your niceness, if you don't know Christ, don't let your niceness and don't let your intentions keep you from seeing your need for salvation. Let me say it again. Don't let your benevolence, your kindness, your intentions, your, your, your neighborliness, your good deeds, your properness, don't let any of that cloud this one issue. You still need forgiveness of sin. He's like, who are you to tell me that? I'm a blood-bought person called by the blood of the Lamb to make known the gospel of Jesus Christ both here and around the world. I'll, I'll stake my life on everything I say to you. And I say it because I love you. Do not be mistaken. Because you live a good, solid, neighborly, kind, benevolent, generous life, do not let that cloud you from the fact you still need the forgiveness of sins, you still need a Savior, and you still want eternal life. You can't earn what we're talking about. You can't buy it with your lifestyle. It's, you've already been bought by the blood of Christ. You can't buy it. You might be able to buy many things in this world. Many, many things in this world. But you can't buy what I'm talking about because it's free. The life is in the blood. The liberty's in the blood. Missions in the blood. The power's in the blood. The redemption's in the blood. The cleanliness is in the blood. The holiness is in the blood. The purity's in the blood. The confidence to come boldly to the throne of grace is in the blood. If you're under the blood, atoned by the blood of Jesus Christ, you can approach God anytime you want to, 24-7, and have no qualms about it. You don't have to run from them in condemnation or shame. You can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy in your time of need because he scorned the very shame that keeps us from the cross. Yeah. The great surgeon. You lay hands on the sick. You anoint them with oil. When you're in the spirit and you're praying over somebody, you can't see it. But exploratory surgery begins. He begins looking inside of you for the crushed places, the pooled up blood, places that need a touch moves aside the good areas, gets to the problem area. He irrigates it with the washing of the water of the word. He touches it. He'll extricate it if it doesn't belong. He'll extricate your, your cancer. He'll extricate your leukemia. He has the ability to go even deeper into the blood marrow where your blood is actually generated and, and formed. 
There's no place in you he doesn't have dominion. And he makes it so you and I are subject to nothing, no malady, no disease, no condition, no, no circumstance, no mindset, no ideology. You're only subject to him. And he has your best interests in mind all the time. There's a, there's a woman that I got a chance to minister to for a long time during 30 plus chemo treatments. She taught me little to nothing about healing. She taught me nearly everything about how to be sick. She's healed, trust me, she's healed. She's long gone, but she's healed. She taught me how to be sick. How to take a sickness and make a ministry out of it. To use it as a platform of grace. To show those who don't yet have an understanding of the gratitude they should have that she, she was so grateful for every breath. In her pain, in her nausea, in her exhaustion, in her fatigue, I'd have to hold the phone to my ear closer and closer. I'd turn the volume up on the speakerphone. Anything I can do to listen to her talk to me about how to be sick and make a ministry of it. More interested in the ministry of in sickness than actual healing. More interested in fellowship with the Lord than what he would do for her or could do or might do or won't do. Oh, man. I don't think she was sick after all. Come to think of it, it sounds like she was pretty whole. I buried her down there in some flat land in Florida, in the middle of nowhere, and left the graveside thinking to myself, I wish I had taken better notes. Whatever your condition, my friend, if you're without Christ, you need him. It's not up for negotiation. If you're sick, he can heal you. It's like the kid at the Teen Challenge Addiction Recovery Program said to me the other day, I've got three, two or three court dates coming up, and I could easily be sent to jail. I'd have to leave the program, leave my family. What should I do? I said, I have only one thing to say to you. Make sure when you stand in front of that solicitor, that assistant district attorney, or that a District attorney, whatever the case may be, as soon as you stand before that judge, here's what I would encourage you to do. Do whatever you can between now and then to have a greater desire for Jesus than what you want him to do for you. Because regardless of the result, if that's your heart, you're going to be okay anywhere you spend your time. We can ill afford to worship a God only when he does what we ask him to do. We can ill afford to worship a God who we count on to do everything for us apart from us cooperating with the power of his blood. We've got to work out our salvation with fear 
trembling. Let's pray. Anybody in the sound of my voice, Lord? More importantly, the sound of your voice. Anybody in this sanctuary today, more importantly, anybody needing to take sanctuary in you, speak to them. Speak to them. Speak with the authority of the blood of the Lamb. Speak with the love of the Lamb. Speak with the confidence of coming to the Lamb. Speak, I pray. Speak. Call them home to your breast. Hold them, the shadow of your wings. Let them rest in you and receive their salvation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Show them they're already purchased and nothing they can purchase will ever fill that void. Call them home. Call them home. Father, I'm I'm mindful of some things here today, as I should be. I'm not mindful of others. I know there is among us in this body cancer. I know of other things here today that would be best dealt with by your touch and your hand by your scalpel that is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. Out of abundance of compassion and love and faith and the authority of your word and your blood, I ask you, Father, to eradicate these things from this body as you have so often done here as of late. Comfort. Comfort those need comforting. Bring joy to those who are sad and sorrowful. And we cannot leave here, Father, without acknowledging the blood of our brothers and sisters on the battlefield and your blood on the battlefield for our soul, Calvary. We thank you for them. We're humbled because of it. And we stand in awe of you and you alone. And everyone said, amen. Let's ponder such thoughts today as we worship.